It is, of course, good to be in the house of the Lord today and to uh, be considering things of, uh, uh, we can call them things of the end, but I think they're not simply in things as we expect them to be, but also uh, things that are uh, some which have come, which were the end of the Old Covenant, and some which are yet to come as in the end of the age. Is this Sunday school going to come with a little more authority because it's from behind the pulpit? <laughs> um, more about spreading out. Okay. <laughs> no. If uh, Anyway, because we're recording this and whatnot, trying to make it work a little easier. Um, let's, uh, let me ask a quick question. Your, your wife, is she not feeling well today? Okay, well, I was going to just in terms of praying for so all right those of you in the uh crock pot room in the back (laughs) let's uh open up with a word of prayer our god and our father we thank you lord jesus for your great mercy that is bestowed upon us lord i pray you would grant us wisdom and grace as we study your word open up our eyes and ears to hear lord i pray that you would help us father to be faithful to you and your word Bless us this day, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so um, I want to say a couple things by way of caveat. Um, Well, let me me just do an advertisement beforehand, because I know we still have some stragglers here. I'll get to the caveat. If you really want to get into the weeds in studying this, you really want to do a super deep dive... Um, into Jesus' Olivet Discourse. Uh, This book here, titled Matthew 23 through 25, a literary, historical, and theological commentary uh, by James Jordan. Um, It's put out by the American Vision. That's Gary DeMar's um, ministry. And uh, I didn't realize... uh, I don't know what I was doing. Sometime in the last month or so, I realized that uh, Gary DeMar was at RTS Jackson about the same time as uh, Pastor Steve Wilkins when I was there, and he had some crossover also with Jordan when Jim Jordan was in uh, Tyler, Texas. I'm referring to Gary DeMar. But I didn't realize how, uh, um, how much they'd come into contact over the years uh, in their teaching. Um, so... Uh, all right, caveat time. The, the thing I want to tell you is this. We do believe in the second coming. I want to make that clear. All right, we want to define what that is, but we do believe in the second coming. Of course, we believe in the resurrection, and we do believe in the final judgment. It occurred to me um, that um, where, where we are... To, You know, I hate to use the $20,000 words, but, you know, we're a preterist group of people. um, And basically um, that uh, the Lord accomplished his work of closing the old covenant. And that's a lot about what is happening in the uh, prophecies in the New Testament. Preterist. (laughs) <laughs> you want me to spell it? You know, spelling's not my strong suit. Thank, 
goodness for the invention of spell check on your computer? P R E P E R I S T. Now, here, here's here's what I want to tell you though. P R E P E R I S T. We are we are not and I am not a hyperpreterist. That is to say that everything that God that Jesus talks about, that Revelation talks about, all that 100% in every way has already occurred. I want to be clear on that fact. I just want us to understand that um, going in. And again, uh, some of this is going to seem uh, a little bit fuzzy. Um, if you've been in um, Sunday school with me in the past, I've mentioned um, chiasms. Um, and I just want to just say that I haven't focused too much on that and won't focus too much on that, but it can be a helpful tool. Uh, basically, chiastic structure in ancient writing was a way to help emphasize um, the, what, what is being said, even down to kind of what the central um, theme is in the writing. And that, of course, is a very non-technical explanation of it. I do want to do this for you guys today, um, <clears throat> just as a point of, of reference. So if I could, uh, maybe we'll pass some of these out, pass those out over there, and then if you guys just pass those down. So what this is right here is uh, just a chiastic diagram of the book of Matthew, and uh, it's, uh, I, I believe, pretty helpful um, just uh, thinking about these things, and you'll notice as you get it, you know, chiasm has a center point, and then out from the center point are two angles out, um, where um, you see that that with Matthew, as you get this, it begins with a genealogy or a looking at the past. That's uh, Matthew one one through seventeen, and if you come all the way down to the bottom, you'll see that there is an A with a little apostrophe there. Um, that's the opposite A, and it is the commission or the direction concerning the future, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, what I want us to recognize um, in this, and, and I encourage you later on, you can take a greater look at this if you like, um, is... Uh, taking a look at what, what the center is of that chiasm, and that is the Pharisees determined to kill the innocent servant um, in uh, Matthew 12, um, verses 14 through 21. I, I only bring this up just as a point of reference to understand, you know, what, what is the storyline that's going on in the book of Matthew, <coughs> what is happening, and uh, what's at the center? Um, we know from, from our studies in scriptures on the whole that, that as it says in Philippians 2, that, that uh, Jesus came down um, with these purposes to, to die. Um, but there were those who were in rebellion to God and in that way um, are um, the center of, of uh, the conflict with Jesus. And so... We have to understand that there are two kinds of conflict with our God. There is us as an individual, and then um, those that are in rebellion corporately. 
right? That's part of why when we confess our sins, we confess both our individual sins here on Sunday morning, but also our corporate sins because we are linked uh, corporately. So I, I want to just set up some things. Um, I will uh, be passing out at the end uh, another little small chiastic diagram along with a tie-in um, to, and it's a chiastic diagram of the Beatitudes or God's blessings, right, that we see in uh, the Sermon on the Mount and how those are in comparison to um, the, the woes that we see coming up in, uh, in Matthew or the judgments that, that Jesus is bringing. Um, there's kind of a, a, a pretty interesting correlation between um, the Beatitudes, which are the blessings and the callings of God's people, and the woes against those who have determined and set out in their heart to destroy Jesus, the true king. And so I'll pass that out at the end. Um, we, we won't go over that in any detail, which is part of why um, I'm passing out um, that as well. Um, but I do think it's very important as we consider the, the, the nature of Matthew's, um, uh, Matthew's gospel as it relates to what Jesus is talking about when he talks about um, the prophecy that's going on in Matthew 23 through 25. If you spend any time with me, you guys all know this. Um, i got the hands full. Someone grab that door for me. Um, <clears throat> that... Uh, um, that I'm, I'm always about taking a look at the scriptures and considering what's going on, what's the context. You can't simply look at uh, God's word and say, okay, I'm going to read this few verses or even I would say a chapter and say, okay, I, I understand exactly what it's talking about because it's written in a context um, and part of that context is what comes before, what comes after, um, and, and uh, of, of course, uh, who's hearing it, um, what is, what, what's happening around um, the, the context of the actual writing. So if we want to look at Matthew 23 through 25, we've got to consider a couple of things are going on. Number one, um, that Jesus in Matthew 21 has a triumphant uh, entry, and he's entering... Um, into Jerusalem. We, we all know that story. We're familiar with it. Jesus comes in. Um, you know, we, we celebrate this with Palm Sunday. People are waving palms, throwing them down in the street. Jesus is riding in on a donkey, which is the, the symbol of, of a king coming um, in victory. Okay? So he's, he's coming in and he's riding in on this donkey, and people are praising him. And he goes, it's very interesting, he goes right from that to what? Anybody know? He goes and he cleanses the temple. Okay? And so, um, and then he'll, he'll go on to engage folks at the temple. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that because this is, this is kind of key to understanding a little bit about what's happening. But I do want to talk about the cast of people. Right. So, what, who, who's, what's going on? Who are the, who are the big folks? So, I want to just emphasize something for you here. 
Um, so, you know, there, there's a, a little bit of a, a direction here, and I just to kind of give you an idea um, that uh, Jesus, as he's talking um, to those that are in the temple, there are different groups. And it, it's important to recognize that Jesus, even though he's speaking about the sin and inconsistencies uh, with those that are leading the worship in God, he still directs his disciples to listen to the scribes and the Pharisees. He grants that they have the chair of Moses. That is to say, they are they, that by God's divine providence, that um, God has given them the, the place to, to teach God's word. Um, but it's important to realize that by no means did, er, did everyone agree with this, and there were three other denominations operating in the Jew, Jewish ecclesiastical, or you could say liturgical worship scene. The Essenes, the Zealots, and the Sadducees. And I, I want to just kind of place this in, and they're going to come up later on as we go through the text. But I think it's important. E S S E N E S. Lots of E's, lots of N's, lots of S's. And so, um, the we, we see this. The Essenes were a dropout sect, much like the Anabaptists before and after the Protestant Reformation. <laughs> For them, the main problem of humanity was worldly existence. Neither Jesus nor any other person in the New Testament even so much mentions them. It seems that when the people choose to drop out of history and society, they drop from God's view and concern also. For God is very much concerned with this world. So that, that's just a first warning. You know, this is a sect that we find there, and it's important that we recognize that our call as Christians is not simply to get off the grid and be away from everybody else. Okay, Now, I'm all for having chickens, milking your cows, uh, being self-sufficient, um, doing all those kinds of things, but we're not simply to say circle the wagons and have no interaction. Also, I'd point out that their, their, uh, their view right, is that... that you know, they, they think that part of the problem is the created order. This is a terribly borrowed concept um, from the Greek philosophers, okay? Like the intellect, the thing we can't tangibly put ourselves on is what matters. And, of course, this heresy comes up in the church when we start getting into this, this division of, of uh, spirit and flesh instead of um, this idea that um, God has created us as one being and the flesh is not bad, it is sinful nature that's, that we're in conflict with, not actually our bodies. You, you, you have a comment? Okay. <clears throat> so um, next, the next group are the zealots. They were political revolutionaries who sought to overthrow the overthrow of Rome for them, the main problem was political. The New Testament mentions them only occasionally, and their mindset was so far removed from what Jesus was doing that they didn't interact with him very much. And, and of course, we need to be careful with this ourselves. You know, I grew up in the time um, where 
Um, in the United States, the, the, the view was starting to really grow that the problem was the church wasn't involved in politics at all, and our, our solution is through political means. Now, of course, in all things, all roads have two ditches. You can say, the, you, you can be the zealot and say, we're going to fix the problems of the world strictly through politics. Or you could be in the other ditch, the Essenes, and that is to say, it's all just terrible, we're going to withdraw from it all and do nothing. And that's not balance at all, right? Both sides of that aren't good. We, we want to be careful that we don't say that the, what's going to change and save the United States is through political means, that is to say, you can't change the heart of men by simply legislating things or changing who's in political office. Now, at the same time, God does call us to be involved in our community. Um, I would encourage you all to vote. I would encourage you to study folks and what they say they stand for and what they actually do and vote accordingly. Uh, but I, I want to be clear to you that, that um, people's hearts don't change through politics. I would also caution us as a people to be careful about social media and becoming too in conflict with folks. If you see someone that you want to reach, call them on the phone. Invite them out for coffee. Have them to your table and talk. Right? Speak about things. Frame it in terms of the gospel. Now, I'm in, in, in using God's word. I'm not saying there's never a time to um, get out there and speak on social media because we know the world is using it. But I caution all of us in simply becoming a place of conflict. Right? Yes. I mean, you made, sorry, this is skipping back just a little bit. Sure, you no. You made the comment that uh, Jesus... Jesus' thought was so foreign to the zealots that he had little contact with them. Uh, Simon the zealot, I mean, one of his disciples was a zealot, maybe a repentant zealot. zealot? Is I, I, I would say a repentant zealot because you, it's funny. He's not even the one that picks up the sword when Jesus is being arrested, yeah. right? So, um, and I think that's a very good observation, and, and that is to say this, that, um, you know, you can hold a position, and guess what? Novel idea. God can enlighten you with his, by his spirit, through his word, the truth, and you can repent and change um, your views on things. Um, you know, let God's word inform you on things as opposed to simply take what I've always known and understand. I imagine some of those zealots grew up in zealot households, right? And so that's what they learn. That's what they know. Um, and as Jesus speaks, Simon is going to, to respond. It's actually, um, you know, it's, it's actually Peter who's actually taught under the, the, the Pharisees' teachings um, who's going to be the one that's going to draw the sword. And so, but, but, but so even, even you can be on the, ones, on, on the right side in a lot of ways, okay, but then on the other hand find yourself at moments tempted to jump in and try to bring about change um, through um, trying to stop God's process through our, through our own works. Um, 
Any other comments or questions so far? So the, the next group is very interesting. We see the Sadducees. They were the liberals who tended to discount the miraculous, rejected a physical resurrection, and had adopted the mindset of Greek philosophy to great extent. The priests at that time were mainly Sadducees. Jesus has little to do with them either. Though the priests also claim to occupy Moses' chair, Jesus does not recognize their claim. Mainly, they were, in, they were Jerusalem's aristocrats who had little to say to the common people. Now, th- this is fascinating here. This is actually, I think, a really imp- important point. Um, so, uh, oh, he jumped out of the room, so we'll see how this goes. Does anybody know who the... Uh, the, the, who the high priest was at the time? Caiaphas. Caiaphas, right? And and where does his family? Well, how? But let's back up. How are the high priests selected? Anybody know? Well, it's from you, you mentioned at birth, so that would be what family lineage, right? God establishes that with Aaron, right? And what happens? Does Aaron? Does Aaron's family? His direct children, do they stay as the high priests forever? No. What happens? He gets transferred to the descendants of Zadok. Well, that comes later. Well, what happens? We, we have a father and two sons are killed. That's right. Right? And at that point, Aaron is moved out. And then when David comes in, he appoints um, the new high priestly family, which stays in place all the way until, Carlos? Zadok. Zadok, which shows up where? The captivity. The captivity, but, but, but what book of the Bible is that? Uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, that's right. Right? And the, the sons of Zadok stay the high priests until what time? Anybody know? Nope, the Maccabees. All right, that's right. Who said that? I'm sorry. Okay, that's right. Okay, and 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 anybody know that story? Anybody want to share that? Like like what 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 happens there? End times. <laughs> um, you know this this is all going to seem right now. It seems like what in the world? We are on a rabbit trail. Uh, okay, I think I. I forget what his real name was, but Maccabee means hammer, and he was of the group that was willing to fight on the Sabbath, and there was there was a huge a plan to wipe out all the resistant Jews, because most of them wouldn't pick up the sword on the Sabbath, but Judas Maccabee and his, his sons who were hiding out in caves, kind of like David in the cave of Adullam, they... They're like, nope, this is a worthy cause. We can save life on the Sabbath, which Jesus kind of affirms to a certain extent. Sure. Uh, and they fight back, and then that's how you get Hanukkah, and there's some indication that Christ favorably recognizes Hanukkah in the New Testament. That's contested, but uh, and that, that was through the... They, they didn't... When they came back and they wanted to purify the temple in time for... I forget which high feast day they were trying to prep for. Purim. Purim, okay. Uh-huh. They, they needed oil uh, for the, the menorah to burn long enough, and that's the miraculous um, uh, 
preservation of the oil that was not enough that God supposedly made enough. So what, what happens here, because we just got the military and political side, but there's something that happens at the temple at that time. The sons of Zadok are pushed out as the high priests, and another family is instituted. They paid the Greeks in order to be the high priests. And from that point, all the way up through Jesus' day, okay, um, you have an, an unscriptural person functioning as the high priests. Okay? It's also interesting to note... What's that? Well, they, 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 well, but they borrowed Greek philosophy. They didn't believe in the resurrection, but they, but they, so they wouldn't have called themselves Greek, but they were instituted and put into place by the Greeks. It, it was like uh, simony or simony. Yeah. They're, they're paying to be able to fill the role, and then they have certain rights and privileges that enrich them in being able to fill that role. It, and it, right, this was just after the Maccabees, right? But, but it's, all, it's all happening around the same time, just after the Maccabees come into to political power. What's that? Who, the Maccabees? No, I don't think so. But, 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 but here, here's the, the bigger question. If you don't have an actual appointed by God high priest, okay, how does the Day of Atonement work? So when you think about this, that sins are trespasses, they're debts you're owing God, the debts are piling up, piling up, piling up, right? And Jesus, all through his ministry, is calling for repentance, okay? He's calling for repentance. Is Caiaphas Greek? Caiaphas, well, he's not Greek himself, but he, he's part of the family lineage that paid off the Greeks to be the, the high priestly he's, family. He's serving at the behest of the Romans. That's right. Who? Who? Yes. Is he Jewish? Though? Yeah, he's Jewish. But where do you, where do you get the idea he's illegitimate? Because it seems like he's always treated as the high priest by Paul and everyone in Scripture. Mm -hmm. You just think of Paul, he's Jesus' brother. So he's the he's the false teacher, right? Yeah, but Jesus didn't say that. This is what this was the people of the day. Well, the the point that I'm saying is, there's an interesting omission. We can see Jesus go to Jerusalem and go to the celebrate um, all of the uh, all of the. Feasts and holidays, except the Day of Atonement. You don't see that occur anywhere in the Gospels. And I, I, th I think sometimes it's important to look for what's missing as much as what's, um, what's actually there. Um, but uh, so you're saying from that time, Maccabees, on through history, that you know this, this is not. It's it's. Well, they would have been they would have been Levites, but they weren't of the see because there were two groups, right? There were of the the tribe of Levi. There was Aaron's family, and then it was appointed later on by David to be 
another family. And in the book of Ezekiel, God says, because of all this apostasy that has gone on, and that's what, that's what happens. You have apostasy and not following and corrupting of, of things, and God brings judgment, right? That's what he does with Eli and his sons. How, you know, God brings judgment to Israel, right? And he allows his, his tabernacle basically to be raided and carried off, right, to, to the Philistines. And then he, he reestablishes worship, but it's a long and arduous thing. And then they go about it, and then they fall into um, false worship and corruption of the worship and corruption of serving God, and that brings in what happens with in relationship to, to um, Israel and, and the exile and all of that. And then it's restored, right, um, when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and uh, th- there's a lot of things there, but, but I think it's important for us to recognize that, 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 these, that this was not set up by God, excuse me, and more than that, they, were, they had abandoned basically the biblical teachings of the resurrection, of the living. I mean, you see all of the things that they're doing. They are doing the liturgy merely for profit. And this is going to be important uh, in, in, recognizing, uh, in recognizing some things. Let me just real quick hit this this one more group, um, and then uh, I want to quickly bring up something that, that's important in all this. Finally, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the evangelicals. They took the Bible very seriously, and many of them learned to read and write, which is really rare in a pre-Gutenberg world, so that many were scribes. The particular scribes in the New Testament were experts in biblical interpretation and instructions the scribes and Pharisees held to the Bible and the Messianic promise and obeyed the law. They worked among the poor and the common people and came up with discipleship formulas to help people live better lives. And Jesus interacts with them constantly. Of course, for many, their evangelical faith had denigrated into legalistic religion. And this form of demonic religion blinded them to the reality of the Messiah when he arrived in their midst. Still, most of the Jews converted to Jesus were from the Pharisaical party. Yes. It sounds like the way that you're describing it, despite him differing with them and seeing the errors they fall into, at least they're asking the right questions. Like, they're the ones that he can even have a debate with because... Is, is that how you're portraying it or the book is portraying it? Well, well, and I and and the answer to both to, to both those yes and yes yes the book's portraying it that way yes I think that way, I th- and I think this is this is real important, um, you know understanding this whole setup here because um, it, it's also understanding what God is doing in terms of the fact of of uh, you know a two a two spirit witness a two witnesses are required to. Um, bring the final death to something or someone. Uh, so it's yes. something that I heard recently that uh, I, I couldn't believe I'd never heard it put this simply, but the Pharisees were the group that were explicitly saying the reason we were carried into captivity is we didn't keep the law, and we need to make sure that we do that now, which totally makes sense. It, it is kind of a humanistic way of looking at it um, because 
it seems like at this point the message maybe they should have finally been getting is that they were incapable of keeping the law <laughs> but clearly they were taken away for their sins they were taken away for their breach of the law um, and lack of faith uh, which also they should have gotten at this point but um, yeah so they, they, they were trying to make things right they're like we're going to get kicked out again if we don't keep the law um, so. well and I, and I think I think this is, this is the whole key of what's happening when you consider What's, what's the great tension that we see in, in the New Testament? Okay, the, what's, when you look at the epistles, when you look in Acts, what, what is God doing? He's trying to bring the Jew and the Gentile together as one people, right? And um, there's this tension all the time between being saved by faith, believing God and his mercy, and the, what the true outworking of that is, and that is to have righteous acts. The righteous acts don't save you, but they should be an outworking of your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Right? Does that make sense? So, as James says, faith without works is dead. And so, that's, that's really what you have with a, quite a few of the Pharisees. They have, um, they have focused on works and they don't have faith. They think it's of their own ability to save themselves. So all of this quickly leads us into that Jesus comes in and he cleanses the temple, right? So we, we, we see that in Matthew uh, 21 that, he's, that he's, gonna, he's cleansing the temple. And this is really important. So I'm going to, because we only have five minutes left, I'm going to throw some things to you. I want you to go home and read these and then come back next week and we will hit this point um, hard. All right, so Jesus cleanses the temple. Jesus goes to the temple and cleanses it twice. The first time is near the very beginning of his ministry. You see this in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. So John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And I tell you what I'll do. I will email these verses out so that we're ready to um, discuss them next week. Um, and then he comes back um, on the last week of his life, and in Matthew 21, he comes and he cleanses, he inspects and cleanses the temple a second time. All right? And what I want you to do in preparation of this, and, by the, and, and so I want you to read um, Matthew 21, and then I want you to read Leviticus chapter 14, Verses 33 through 57. Leviticus 14, verses 33 through 57. Okay, and, and that's going to play a very important role in helping us frame up what Jesus is doing, what is happening, and what's going to go on through the course of this discussion in Matthew uh, 23 through 25. And, and let me point out, we kind of talked about this already. We talked about a priesthood, a failure, a destruction of, of uh, worship, a disruption of liturgy, right? Then a reestablishment of, of it and all through the Old Testament, these different places. And then we have the, the corruption again. And so Jesus is showing up, and he is functioning in this same way. I think this is very important. Um, this is why, 
again, you'll hear me emphasize this over and over again. Um, if you want to understand the New Testament rightly and really what's going on, you've got to have a handle on what's happening uh, in the Old Testament. They're not to be treated as separate things. It's one narrative from Genesis 1 to the very end of Revelation. All right, any quick questions or comments about where we are right now? Yes, Carlos. Um, John 2, 13 through 22. Leviticus 14, 33 through 57. And, yep, and Matthew 21. I'll do that today. All right. Well, very good. Um, I, I will... Uh, I will uh, place these out if you're interested in looking at a little diagram of the woes described in the, uh, um, this Olivet Discourse in comparison um, to the, uh, the Beatitudes. There's a little outline here on this as well. I would point out that if you find that really interesting and you want to dig into that, there's, there's whole sections in this book on that. All right. You did today come out of the, of the book. What's that? It's outlined in there, yes, but it is not exclusively from Jordan. Like, like I'm reading a bunch of different things, but um, the what I am discussing is um, tied into this right here because we're looking at this particular passage um, um, in Matthew, and and this and this particular passage is con- our commentary is concerned with understanding it. Um, in connection to these Old Testament passages, and like I said, it could take you. If you if if you're unfamiliar, um, it'll it's something to certainly chew on. All right, let us uh, let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for our ability to come into your house to learn of you and learn of your Word. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would raise up those that are sick among us, uh, strengthen their body, that they may continue to serve you and be a blessing to. Uh, this community, and uh, the world in which we live. Father, please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. In Jesus' name, amen.